Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. You know, supporting women is my passion and it's my purpose, and finding other women and men who lift women up is my favorite thing to do. Their stories are inspiring, and they help us to understand that we can all succeed if we support one another in our work and in our lives. These amazing conversations also gave me the stories and wisdom from my earlier book, Leading Women. And they also inspired my newest books, which came out in 2019, called In This Together, How Successful Women Support Each Other in Work and Life. Now, this week, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Phyllis Chesler. Phyllis is an emerita professor of psychology and women's studies at City University of New York. She is a best-selling author, a legendary feminist leader, a retired psychotherapist, and an expert courtroom witness. She is also the co-founder of the Association for Women in Psychology, the National Health Network, and the International Committee for the Women of the Wall. Phyllis is featured in Feminist Who Changed America, Jewish Women in America, and the Encyclopedia Judica, she is a writing fellow at Middle East Forum, where, the, where she publishes her book on honor killing. Phyllis has authored 20 books, including Women and Madness, a landmark feminist classic, The New Anti-Semitism, Women's and Humanity to Women, and it goes on and on and on. You'll just have to go to her website to see all the different books that she has published. And finally, and most importantly, she is actually just talks about something that's so very, very important to me, which is women supporting women. And that's the most important thing that we can do to change the world. So I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Phyllis Chesler to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Boy, do we have many, many, many things to talk about. Phyllis, thank you so much for being with me. Like I said last night, uh, reading over everything, looking at your website and then looking at the books. And I bought two of them last night and read between uh, Women's Inhumanity to Women and Women and Madness. These, you know, this is basically why I do what I do. <laughs> well, you, you know, you, Women you, and Madness was my first book. And I used to yeah. joke when people would ask me, well, how long did it take you to write it? My answer would be, I guess, my entire life until then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. yeah. That's what for, and I have to say it did change the world for many women and for those in the so-called mental helping professions or the mental harming professions. And as as I grow distant from it, as in it was long ago, it came out in 1972. Right. I see. Oh, it retains its timeliness. Oh, how privileged I was to be able to open so many locked cells, both of women in bad families and bad marriages and trapped in psychiatric asylums. It was a great privilege. To bring it to the publishing companies that took you years, too, because as a feminist, what I read was that you didn't want to upset the, the apple cart, basically, by talking about the fact that Women, white women, just aren't very nice to other white women. And I think this, was the, this is still the most important thing that we still have to talk about 
but yet. Oh, I don't think it's just white women. Oh, no, no, no. I think it's because Woman's Inhumanity to Woman, which came out in 2002, there was a lot of feminist nervousness about it, lest if we reveal that women are human beings like men are, that they'll use it against us. But the women that I surveyed and interviewed are global. That means women from Southeast Asia, multiple wives don't treat each other very nicely, and they're not white. And women all over Africa who are tend to be black or brown or olive in terms of FGM or in terms of honor killing or forced child marriage, they don't treat each other very nicely. So when I I I speak about white women, I speak more about the United States right now. I guess I should have clarified that. But, uh, no, I mean, we, we could talk about this for a long time, but I think the point is, is that we still have to find women supporting each other. This is the absolutely. only way the world absolutely. is going to change until women absolutely understand. We're the ones holding ourselves back. We're, it's not men. It's us that we're holding ourselves back. This whole thing about women want to be lied, but at the same time they turn around and they'll stab you in the back as soon as they have a chance. Or culturally, they'll, they'll take that road. Or where the pocketbook is, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let's, let's stop there because I want to talk about you and I want to talk about how this evolved. And then we can talk about these things again because I think they're key to what's going on in our world right now. In the United States, of course, leadership, and that's where I come from. I'm a psychologist. Where I come from is women leading, women in sectors leading, working with men as far as gender equity, gender equality. But we have to first start to understand what our biases are towards each other and the biases we have towards ourselves, which are, which well, are also you know, extremely valid. See, women like men, and I know you will agree, we are as sexist as men are. We respect men more than we respect or trust women, even though we rely on women for intimacy and we have a series of best friends, which we would die without. So it's like unlearning racism. It's a process of consciousness every day, and so too with unlearning sexism. So, for example, we have to cut the next woman some slack if we're angry because she's did something hurtful, we have to tell her yeah. to her face, not behind her back, by having all her friends shun her, by gossiping against her, but telling her directly to her face, and then yeah. letting it go. And this is hard we, for women to do. Yeah, what we hear in, the, in corporations and businesses is these young women who are starting out in their careers and really looking for mentors, looking for sponsors, looking for women, other women leaders to assist them is that we come, they come back and say, what do I do about the mean women at work? What do I do about them? And this, is, this was yesterday. This was a week ago. This was a month ago. And here we are in 2020, just about ready to go to 2021. The good news is that we do have a black woman, a woman of color, becoming the first elected vice president of the United States, which is great. It's wonderful. But look at the countries that have been so much further ahead as far as leadership than the United States of America, which is supposed to be democracy, which is supposed to be equal, you know, which is the country that people come for freedom and freedom of expression, freedom to be what you want to be. And here we are. You know, it's, it's time 
and your books are timely and I need they need to get be, be republished and republished because we have to keep reminding people reminding women where we aren't yet where we aren't yet oh but, that's a hundred I'm gonna stop I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stop here because I want you to talk about you how did you get to be this person where did this all come from you are the feminist of America how did you get to be her <laughs> Ah, that's a very good question. I'm not sure. I think I was lucky to be born at a certain moment in history when women, not just myself, were rising. Many who, like myself, had been involved in the civil rights movement, in the anti-Vietnam War movement, but we were Mm -hmm. treated like girls in those movements, Mm -hmm. quite expendable, and no different than on the right. So many of us left and became feminists or radical feminists. And it was a moment in history that we've yet to see again. So I was perhaps waiting. I mean, I was a rebel all my life. I was certainly a politically incorrect feminist on each issue that I chose to write about or pioneer in. I was by myself, really, with then wonderful feminists joining me. So... You know, I'm not sure. How do we become who we're destined to become? You know, I I love to read. I love to write. I was a scholarship well, who, what, what kid. The, what are the, who are the faces that you see right now that made you, brought you to where you are? I mean, I can, personally, I can see the faces of the people, especially women who supported me, and I see the faces of those that did not. Uh, yeah. Well, I had some wonderful teachers both, men and women in high school and in college at Bard as well. But the sexual harassment, the objectifying of women, the Mm non-choosing of us as their heirs was pandemic. And once I got my Ph.D., and I had a fight so hard from 1969 on and I write about this in my last book, A Politically Incorrect Feminist, I had a fight for each promotion, for each salary upgrade, and my feminism and my growing fame were held against me. This was a time when radical feminism was not seen as uh, assimilated to the academic world, but as a threat to it. So it was hard going. I never stopped. I kept researching, I kept publishing, which is often held against you in the academic world unless you're a male darling, and (laughs) they can do no wrong, and and Mm -hmm. exceptionally uh, productive women can do no right, and I don't see much of this changing. Now, around me, there were wonderful feminists publishing great works, and we supported each other in the first decade from 1967 to 1980, all of mm-hmm. that incredible work has been disappeared and neutralized yeah. and supplanted by less radical works with no mm-hmm. historical memory. And the great scholar Dale Spender from Australia wrote a very important book about women of ideas and what men have done to them is her title. And she yeah. documents the systematic disappearance of feminist knowledge in patriarchy, which I've seen in my lifetime more than once. So yeah. 
it was easier for us because we were all in a mass movement at once. We were feminists, but not the fun kind. And yeah. we were a threat. And we were yeah. on the move. And then it ended. And now there's, I'd say, smaller waves or trickles, really, of third and fourth wave feminism, which is not making a quantum transformation that we really need. Yeah. Look yeah. at the Me well, Too and, movement. Um, I mean, they had, they, had it, they, had, they had it 100% what they do with it. I mean, and that's the point. We go out there full throttle, you know, the gas is on, full throttle, and then it's fizzled. It, well, you know, we had the analysis down pat. We could have had an at Me Too movement if our early radical work had not been so disappeared. We didn't. Yeah. It got disappeared. Okay, then the wheel was reinvented. But then it seems to me, even though it's a great thing and it's global, women who are agricultural workers, women who work in factories, women who work in coffee shops, women who clean hotel rooms, they're not bringing lawsuits because no one's funding them to do it. No one's putting them in witness protection programs because yeah. that's the yeah. kind of deadly threat they'd be up against. I mean, yeah. imagine, remember that big scandal with Dominique Strauss-Kahn and the hotel worker? Mm -hmm. He was so powerful. He was going to be the next president of the World Bank. And here he, he was a sex addict and a maniac. And one hotel worker, woman from another continent, brought him down. That's unusual. And all the men who've been punished for their brutal, atrocious behaviors against women, they're only brand name guys. They're not the unknown yeah. guys. So. Yeah. What do we do? Well, we, we keep working at what, what's important and why I do what I do, and I do these radio podcasts. I do this all the time, and, of course, the books that, that women are publishing and the, the works, men and women, who are talking about gender equity and bringing women and men together because we need each other. We can't do this alone. We cannot go forward until we're all on the same page. Primarily, I started out working with the idea that until we find women who will support each other, we're, we're not going to make any headway at all. Well, the National Women's History Museum is struggling to find its, its rightful place in the D.C. area. They're looking at Mar the Martin Luther King Library right now, which I think would be wonderful because of the diversity. But again, women and girls cannot be what they cannot see, what they cannot hear, and what they cannot read about. So women have done amazing things. They've done amazing things for one another. They've done amazing things as far as really producing amazing things in our world and in our country. But we don't, we don't know about them. It's not written that's, down. That's it's, very, very well said. And I'm thinking, remember all the statues being toppled? I rightly yeah. observed, I don't know, all the statues for, they're all men, and they're often men yeah. in military garb on high horses. Where are all the women? Why are we not resurrecting and, sur for the first time, having women who've done these great things so that indeed girls can see it and imagine themselves doing likewise? We have to have the National Museum of Women's History. I mean, we have to have things that people can go to and visit and say, hey, yes. women did this, women did that. But it has to start with us all understanding in the schools when they pick up a book if they ever go back to school to pick up a book or, or even if they're online, is that they read about it. They understand it. 
and it and it's so very very important. But uh, well, you know, psychologically, oh. women are pitted against each other in a family drama, as if the rest of their lives are all mothers and daughters or sisters with sisters at home, and they're not shown the advantages of being part of a team where everybody yeah. wins, even if one superstar makes the basket. Everybody wins. Yeah. Women yeah. don't they have, have that experience. Yeah, there's plenty of pieces of the pie. You know, I am the chair of Take the Lead, which is a leadership curriculum program. And 50 cohorts, we have the cohorts of women in business, women in law, women in, in, in entertainment, in, in, in media, coming together and learning about leadership, but understanding and talking about bias and understanding how women don't support each other. But these groups of women come together in all these different cohorts, and probably the most amazing thing that occurs is that they said, I have never been with a group of women as talented and as, as important as this group and never felt more support and more security yeah. and more safety and more safety. And, and this great. is what this is about. This is what it's all about. And then That's they're going great. out in, back into their professions and then they're networking and then they're cross-referring or doing projects together, but also that referral network. I think that's what men have always had. They've had a great group of men that, that are always referring out, referring to each other. You know, they can say to a, a man, can say to a man, I'm going to beat you in golf today. And, they go, and the other guy will go, okay, sure, come, you got it. Come on, let's do it. You said, if you said, I said that to, I yes. said something to a woman. We were playing golf and she did not forgive me. She never well, forgot. She is, never forgave me. Men don't take things as personally as women do. If, right. you know, you fight, if you win, you lose, so what? We're going to have a beer afterwards together. Women take yeah. it hard and they take it personally. And if they lose or if they, if they feel criticized, it's yeah. war. And this yeah. behavior has to be unlearned. Let, let me go back. Yeah. I have a question, but I want to make a point first. Okay. You're right about it's women who... One of the many reasons I wrote my most recent book, uh, Requiem for a Female Serial Killer, is because mm -hmm. most women, including feminists at the time, didn't have, still don't have, much understanding of or compassion for girls and women who are either trafficked into prostitution, which is the sure. greatest violence against women that we have, second, second or largest, blame, the second largest business in the country right now. They didn't have to lift their skirts. They have the right yeah. to sell sex. It's work for money. They need the money. All of these are myths. Absolutely. So the, the darkest reading, and I've done, I've trolled the dark side, <laughs> but the yeah. darkest yeah. reading I've done yet is prostitution, the lives, the, the real lives, and that it's no exit hell, and also the serial killing literature because serial killers are essentially men who prey on mm -hmm. prostitutes. That's part of the job description. So there we could certainly use, and I hope that the Biden administration deals with it, an expansion of the shelters for battered women because prostituted sure. girls and women are battered by hundreds or thousands of men, not just by one. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. means such a will, political will and funding to enforce it in the list of priorities are very, very long now. Yeah. They've started doing more and more sensitivity training with law enforcement, 
in regard to battered women and sexual crimes that occurred. Because again, this this bias, this myth about women asking for it, women are oh, you yes. know just they're doing this because they want to, and but they're doing sensitivity training because they were finding that law enforcement were, were had no sympathy, had absolutely no no concern for these women whatsoever. And a battered woman is repeatedly battered. She's not just, it's just not a one-time thing. It could be they go to the house once or twice or whatever. So these law enforcement officers would say, you know, what's going on here? She's not, you know, what's wrong with these women? And so their sensitivity was really in the opposite direction. Instead of having empathy, they, they had no sympathy, no empathy for these women whatsoever. Absolutely. And it's true for rape as well. There was a recent uh, expose in a a magazine about 20 or more years in which rape kits went untested. And therefore, serial rapists were allowed to continue on their merry way. And the women uh, absolutely no justice. And believe me, there was such consciousness raising and attempts, I suppose, to train police, etc. in it's not the victim's fault, you can't ask her about her sex life, you yourself can't ask her out on a date, you know, she didn't want it, nothing she did, you know, caused it. All these many years later, nearly 50 years later. Yeah, but Me Too, that's what it was about. These women did not come forward because they were told that their careers would be, they they would not have a career, but they would also, they are also told, no one would believe them. No one would care and nobody would believe them. And I think this is part of that. If women supported one, and that's what began with Me Too, women started supporting each other going, hey, wait a minute, let's get together. Let's, let's go out there and let's, let's tell the story. But unless they had actually supported each other, I don't think that would have ever, ever occurred. I think it petered out in a way we could say Hollywood took it over and brand name lawyers set up foundations and reaped the lion's share of the funding that came in. That's one explanation. Another explanation is that it's so huge. It's like drugs and prostitution, the sexual harassment and the quid pro quo. If you want this fancy job, I'm going to sleep with you and that's it. Otherwise you don't get it. It's so huge that it will require a revolution, whatever that may mean, to change that. So it's yeah. not that the women, I mean, the women in India did huge activism and attempted legislation after the, the atrocious, the, the gang rapes on buses, which were murders, gang rape murders. Women tried so hard, but the culture is against them. Yeah, the culture is what we have to change. We have to change. But it's the belief systems, like you said, until women themselves understand the biases that they, that they are taught, their, their daughters are taught, their sons are taught. I mean, it starts from the time the child is so many years is that you begin to talk about we treat women with respect, we, we treat boys with respect, we treat one another with respect, you know, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, it was... I keep thinking, hopefully, with, with the new leadership that's coming in, uh, that we will start to see more of that because I think, uh, I think we do have an opportunity to really start bringing some good information out and some, some awareness. I'm very blessed to be working with many groups of women, and I think that's where the success is, is the collaboration among organizations. We don't need splinter organizations out there. We don't, want, we don't need everyone 
asking for funding. We need to join with funding. We need to join with purpose and mission. But but you know well, what? <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of us. All right, here's, here's my list. Get... I made it for you. Just what the Biden administration should do. The first okay. order of business is repealing the Hyde Amendment that deprived poor women of federal funding for abortions. Okay. And then repealing the gang rule, which withdrew American funding for family planning globally if abortion services were included. Then yeah. pass the Equal Rights Amendment. Women yeah. belong in the Constitution. And then we yeah. can go to the Violence Against Women Act, which Biden once claimed as his victory, but without the funding to enforce it, was pretty words on paper, as so much else is. So we need many, many more shelters for battered women and for prostituted women, and they have to be able to stay longer there. And then there's the question of training, employment, child care, education, health care. Yeah. Whoa. Absolutely. And then there's the trafficking, the William Wilberforce Act against trafficking in human persons. It's up there with the Violence Against Women Act. It can't be enforced without proper funding. We're sure. now coming out of, hopefully, a pandemic, unemployment, underemployment. How are we going to do this all? Hopefully, there will at least be a desire to do this. Yeah, Hopefully. awareness, awareness and desire, awareness and desire. We, you know, and, we you know, have to have keep a, talking about issues. Yeah, I have have a question for, for you. Do you think that when a head of state is a woman, as opposed to a man, that that means necessarily that she'll enact a feminist agenda? Same is no. true for a person of color. Will they necessarily? do right by people of color. No. It's a real question. No. No, it's yeah. no, it, it, every it's an individual person at that point and what how they got there, why they got there and who putting what pressures on them. You know, again, this is what we hope the representation that we have with, with this new administration which looks very diverse is that there actually are truly agendas necessary to change the world for the better, for the good. And, oh, and well, we, we can hope so. No, no, we have to keep our eyes on the prize always. And the glass, yeah. as they say, is always half empty, but it's always half full. And we've yeah. made some gains, both in awareness and in substance, not enough. And some of those gains we've lost and are losing. Yeah. But that's the way history seems to work. You know, two yeah. back, one forward, three back, sure. two forward. I don't like it, but I'm noting that that's how it is. I think it's crucial, well, therefore, for women to be kind to each other. And yeah. to, <laughs> I right? absolutely agree with that. Yes, yes. On, that's on why I was excited to talk to you today. <laughs> oh, that's very, very I knew you get you get it. You understand it, you know, and it's oh, and, it, yeah, and it's yeah. just like these cohorts of women. They're so excited and energized when they're around women who support them. I mean, literally, it's almost as if uh, you know the, the smiles. I went to the graduation of the uh, women in literature, uh, no journalism, and I have never seen a more ecstatic group of fifty women 
uh, talking and engaging and, and literally lifting each other up every, in every way. What can I do? What can we do? How can we work together? And, and those are the kinds of things that we're trying to do with Take the Lead. That's what Women Connect for Good is trying to do and doing it in small increments, but hopefully still moving the dial slowly but surely forward. That's all we can do. And then Diversity Women, uh, Sheila Robinson, who's the CEO and founder of Diversity Women's Business Magazine, has a huge cadre of women of color who understand also that we all have to work together. Because this is the only way it's going to change. It won't change if we keep trying to you know, go over in our little corners. Okay, you go over in this corner, you go in that corner, and let's see who comes out with the, the best boxing, you know. Yeah. Big things won't change if women of all classes, races, ethnicities, religions, if we don't work on that which we all need. We may not be able to work on everything because we have different interests, yeah. but on that basic stuff that we all need, we got to work together. Yeah. Well, uh, Madeline Albright said it, said it succinctly when she said there's a special place in hell for women who do not support each other. I, I love that statement that? ever since. Yes, she did. Madeline Albright said there is a special place in hell for women who do uh, not support each other. That I just woman finished reading her. She speaks. Oh well, she was in the trenches long before many, many women, as far as in politics. I think she really held her own. She was super intelligent. She was a great mediator, and she was a great collaborator. And these are the women that we need when we get they get out in the world. Uh, and to really represent what we really want to be represented as, which is caring, empathetic, intelligent, and collaborative and supportive. Yeah. You know, she also took the risk of exposing the rape camps in Bosnia, in the That's former true. Yugoslavia. Yes. And likewise, yeah. I think that women must follow that example, that when we hear that a woman's been raped, if we're sitting on her jury, which women have not been good with or with battered women who kill in self-defense. Women jurors are not preferred for a number of complex reasons that I discuss. We need to be sisterly, as you've been pointing out. We need to believe the woman. We need not to say, who does she think she is? I wouldn't have done that. That couldn't happen to me. Oh, because it it really all could happen to you. And um, the, the same is true for what I'm writing about in Requiem for a Female Serial Killer. And this is a true crime genre that I've never approached before. But it called out to me and a group of us, I pulled together a group of feminists who wanted to testify that a woman has a right to kill in self-defense and that prostitution is so dangerous that it would make sense, at least that first time, that this particular woman in Florida could have indeed been in a struggle for her life and killed in self-defense. But since she was considered a criminal because a prostitute, she couldn't go to the police. So what could she do? Even nice married girls, married women who are spotless in reputation, when they kill in self-defense the husband who's been battering, them, they tend to get life sentences, often with no parole. Yeah, those women are crazy. They're crazy, you know. Yeah, you know, crazy to want to live. No one else stepped in to save them. Yeah, <clears throat> and yeah. Miraculously, yeah. they finally saved themselves. 
or tried yeah. to. So we seem well, to be Phyllis, on a good I, wavelength. <laughs> well, Phyllis, we're not done yet. You know, we got more work to do. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. I have no doubt of that. I'm going to have to live a very long time and maybe several well, but, lifetimes while being but, up. You know, let, let me ask you a question. You're an educator and you're, you're still teaching, correct? No, I'm a retired emerita professor of psychology oh, okay. and women's studies. But I'm okay. not okay. retired. I do many other things. No, you re refired, re energized, re reclassified, whatever you want to call it. Now I don't believe in that other word. But I, I think education is still key and I think we're seeing men and women hopefully really coming out in with different ways of viewing the world. And we just have to keep looking for that next generation to say, hey, wait a minute, it's time for you to take the baton, it's time for you to move forward. Move and dial forward so that boys and girls, men and women can live equally together and that gender equity and equality exists in our country, in our country. Yes, you know, I, 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 have, I have a son who's a judge and he's a feminist and uh -huh. his first day on the bench, he called me up excitedly, he said, Mom, I've just issued my first order of protection. And I All thought, right. well, I can't die yet, but <laughs> kid has a place in heaven. <laughs> so, well, so, so, I, I so, so you, have made an, you have made an impact, absolutely. Yes, and many other feminist mothers have as well. And I don't know absolutely. whether it's going to take one by one, but that's certainly one way that's been pretty successful. Yeah. Uh, I had my uh, children over, grandchildren, and, and for a Christmas luncheon yesterday, and my daughter gave me uh, oh, a huge water, uh, you know, water container, and it said, "My mom is a badass," <laughs> <laughs> which is I a great it. compliment. Great compliment. It, it, I is. Two, it is. I have two granddaughters, and they're now. What's different? On the one hand. My son and daughter-in-law say so they go into the toy stores and everything is either blue or pink, blue or pink. But on the yeah. other hand, there are ever so many more fairy tales and cartoons and movies that have girls not waiting for the kiss from the prince, but they are action figures themselves. That's a change. Yeah. It's a welcome yeah. change. Well, they've got the new, the new Superwoman, the new Superwoman movies coming out again, so we'll go watch that. But uh, Phyllis, we can talk forever, and, and and I hope we can continue to have these conversations because I think this is key. Please let us know uh, again your newest book, uh, The Requiem of a Female Serial Killer. But where can they learn more about you? Learn about your your you have so many books. I was doing the intro, oh, and I finally went. Yes, yes, so many books, so many wonderful books. And, again, and again, I am the proud new owner of two of your books, uh, Women's Inhumanity to Women and Women in Madness, and they're so timely, and I, I believe that they will definitely always be important for all women, men, to read. It's, uh, they're important reads. But where can they learn more about you and your books? They can go to my website, www.phyllis-chesler.com. C H E S L E R dot com. Fantastic. Well, the first thing you see is the, the library on the front page with all your books. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't worry about you ever getting bored, Phyllis. <laughs> I hope it, Thank you. Thank it you. Is, it has been delightful. Like I said, I have these conversations. I like to continue to think that we're 
I'm always here to support you and, and your efforts in any way we can. Women Connect for Good, that's what we do. That's all we do. It's a, that's my simple mission, women supporting the missions and the dreams and aspirations of other women. That's what I do. I can't do it more simply than that. But uh, please stay in touch. Have a wonderful holiday. And let's hope 2021 is a much better year. All a lot better. Thank you so much, (laughs) Dr. Nancy. Thank you. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.